Thank you again for joining us on YouTube this morning. We're delighted that you have taken the time to tune in and uh, we are beginning a new series at the moment called Life to Live from the book of Ephesians. Last week we gave a little intro to it by being in Acts chapter 19. We didn't actually touch Ephesians 1 just yet. Uh, we're going to do that today. Acts 19 was all about the birth of a new church in Ephesus. Paul came from Corinth and he came to this city that uh, was all built around the worship of the god of Artemis in the temple of Artemis or Diana as it was some, sometimes called. And uh, by the end of the story, the end of the chapter, we see that through 12 spiritually hungry people, God turns this whole city upside down. In fact, it got so crazy that there was a massive riot because so many people had come to faith in the region that the city was losing money. Its economy was failing because it had been built around all the false idols and false worship of this uh, temple, uh, the temple of Artemis. Just an extraordinary story of what God can do with 12 ordinary people who are seeking after God and God turns their lives around. So we're praying that now, this is an exciting time for us to be alive. It might not feel like that in lockdown, but there are a lot of exciting things going on. And I think the most encouraging of those is that so many people are seeking after God in these days. So my prayer, and ask you to join me in fervently praying for this, is that those in Glasgow who are seeking after God in these days would not find some cheap alternative, but would find Jesus. They would have their lives turned upside down and that we get to partner with those people as God comes in the power of his Holy Spirit and changes Glasgow. Now it's been four or five years since the excitement of Paul's time in Ephesus. And at some point, life normalizes. It does, doesn't it? You might remember when you first came to faith, just the excitement that you had um, at that time and how it changed your outlook on everything. And there was just this kind of buzz all the time uh, of what it meant to be a new Christian. And then at some point, maybe something happens in your life and, and you could get slightly jaded, discouraged, kind of drifts. I hope that's not been the case for you, but the reality is for a lot of us, we've at least been through a season like that. So what's the Apostle Paul's message to them with uh, all these years that have passed by since the, the city was turned up, upside down? How do we continue on? What's his advice to them? What's he gonna say to them in this letter? Well, it might be surprising to us in Scotland that Paul begins with gushing in praise. He is overflowing in a burst of worship. And actually, from verse 3 to verse 12, in the original text, there are no punctuation marks. There are no pauses. It's as if Paul has just got so excited about the gospel that's transformed this city, that's transformed these people, that's transformed him, that he just wants to get it all out of there without taking a breath. 
I remember when I used to come back home after school, uh, I uh, would come into the house and we had a golden retriever. And when she was a puppy, she would be so excited to see you. You would open up the door and she would come running up to you. She'd try and grab her ball and then she'd skid across the floor and then she'd you know, chase her tail. She'd jump up on you, try and lick you, pee the floor a little bit. She did, it's like she tried, she did everything. Her newfound freedom from me just coming in and opening the door and seeing someone just gave her so much joy that she, Try to do everything at once. And it's almost as if Paul is trying to do that. He's trying to tell us everything at once, the glory of this gospel. But let's be honest, when a person is doing that and we're not feeling it, it can actually be, well, certainly less cute than when a dog does it. <laughs> Wouldn't this foaming worship, this bubbling up from the heart of a man who could seem quite unlike us if we're feeling stale, cause us to do anything but worship. We've all been there, haven't we? We've been in the prayer meeting and that person who is just so full of passion starts to pray. And instead of us rejoicing with them like we, we should, we mumble something like, oh, maybe just in our heads, oh, for goodness sake, here we go again. This can't be written off as some youthful enthusiasm that will be sorted out by the school of life. Paul, remember, is in prison as he writes this letter. He is in prison again. He'd been in prison already before this for his faith. He, we know, had all kinds of medical issues. He'd been pretty ill. We also know that he'd had several shipwrecks and that he'd been rejected by the Jewish community, the people that he had been so revered by and loved and uh, his family had all rejected him. So this isn't just naive or conjured up enthusiasm. This is real deal overflowing joy. So where does Paul get this praise of God that overflows like a, a burst dam? Where does he get that from and, and how do we get a piece of it? Well, the words of his worship, of his worship itself can show us. So Vig, uh, over to you. You are uh, about to read our text. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. So if you've got a Bible, do grab it. We're going to be in the NIV and we're going to stick in the NIV this time just for uh, kind of simplicity as we go through it. Um, we have used the ESV in the past when we've looked at letters, the letters of Paul, um, but this time we're going to be in the NIV. So grab hold of a Bible and uh, follow along. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Brilliant. Thank you, Vidj. Well, we're calling this series in Ephesians Life to Live because God has already given us a life that is ours. We don't have to work towards it. We simply now step into what's already been given to us. And even the Apostle Paul's greeting reminds us of that truth. Paul's letter uh, begins like often his letters often do with a reminder of who they are. This time it's God's holy people. That's who you are. You're God's holy people and you are faithful. That is who you are, says Paul. Not what I'm hoping you might become. No, that is what you are. You are holy. You're forgiven and no longer to be blamed for what you have done. You're free from that and now clothed in the holiness of Jesus himself. That's why Paul can finish his greeting in Christ Jesus, because that's where you are. You're in Christ. You're in, you're standing in the shoes of Christ. If you're feeling discouraged this morning, you had to peel yourself out of bed. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you are watching this at a later time. Maybe you're feeling inadequate. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, maybe you're feeling inadequate. Maybe you're ill, maybe you're sneezing, I don't know. Um, maybe you're feeling guilty about something. Um, I just want to remind you, you're in Christ Jesus. A phrase Paul uses 11 times in 14 verses. And he says you are holy and he says you are faithful. Now that word faithful isn't like, hey, you're some sort of trustworthy person. Um, actually, it's, what it really means here is, that you are full of faith. You are faithful. And uh, all that really means is that you're a believer. You've put your trust in Christ. And so you are faithful. And verse D tells us what that now means for us. Somebody who is a believer is blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now this word, these words spiritual blessings are not some kind of inner zen that you've managed to cultivate over a period of time and a number of practices that make you feel oh, at peace. That's, that's not the point of this. This is simply the consequences of Jesus ascending on high after his resurrection and then pouring out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost on the church and that he continues to do that today. So if you're a believer, we looked at that last week, what that means is kind of two uh, ways in which we are filled with the Spirit and then we have to live this continual uh, Spirit-filled life. Well, let me tell you, because you are a believer, you are saturated. You, if you were a sponge, you'd be drenched, dripping in spiritual blessing because of the Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's work in you. Now, spiritual blessings are to contrast material blessings, particularly... Uh, Paul is making the point here that the material blessings of the old covenant under the, uh, in, in Israel is very different to this new covenant under Christ where 
we have uh, spiritual blessings instead. So instead of it being about a particular land, you now, those of you who are carrying this spiritual blessing, that's anyone who believes, are bringing about a new kingdom through spirit-filled life. Instead of it being about a particular nation being established, now we are the people of God on the move in the nations. Instead of it being about a particular holy city, it now isn't about Jerusalem or one particular place because we are the church or a city on a hill, a, a blazing light, the light of Christ shining out of us. And it's no longer about the temple, this particular place where God would dwell within. Because now the Spirit of God, the presence of God has broken out. The, the temple curtain was torn in two. And, and now we are temples of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what verse 4 is about too. Just like God's choosing of Abraham and Israel to be a blessing to the nations, we the church are chosen to share these spiritual blessings from King Jesus who reigns on high and, and reigns in what the text here describes as the heavenly realms. We are to share those spiritual blessings with the world. God set us apart to bring heaven to earth. We are God's people in Christ. God chose you, he knew you, he loved you before one particle of the cosmos even existed. He had set you apart in eternity to be united, not only to him, but to his mission. And being united to him, you're united to his mission and the advancement of his kingdom. And that we need to know this that this was planned long ago. It is no mistake that you are where you are. It is no mistake that you know who you know. And God has placed you there as a kingdom advancer, someone who is joining and joined with the mission of God hidden in Christ. And he's gonna use you as you open yourself up to be used in great power. But if you were to read verse 4 without reading verse 5, you could end up with something altogether very unchristian, something that doesn't really reflect the gospel. Because what you could do is suddenly say, well, oh, I'm called to be holy and blameless. I'm called to be like Jesus. I, I must work hard at being like Jesus. No, 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 no. That's, that's not where we begin. Actually, we begin in verse 5. We begin with what it means for us to be predestined for adoption. We begin with being adopted as being sons and daughters of God. Everything flows from there. Now, before I can really get into that, I think we need to address the elephant in our 21st century rooms uh, when we read a passage like this one. And you've got these words that many of us will find difficult chose us, predestined us according to his pleasure and will. That can be pretty uncomfortable reading in a society where 
free choice of the individual is raised as a higher value than just about anything else in society. To oppose it is to be a heretic of our culture. Our attempts to explain it, I think, reflect our desperation to be clear one way or the other with what we often view as quite awkward texts. It leaves us in a place that I don't think the Bible does. Let me explain. The Bible holds God's choice and our choice together. There is a mystery to that. And I think to say otherwise, in my view, will mean that we dangerously overemphasize either God's choice or ours. And it actually leaves us in pretty hot water. We need to avoid turning this into some kind of rational system that we can like put down in a flowchart. Did God choose you before you even had a thought? Yes, he did. Did God choose to, uh, sorry, did you choose to follow Jesus? Yes, you did. Now there's more to it than that that's important, but I'm gonna leave you hanging until verse 11 in a few weeks and we're gonna talk a little bit more about it then. So why did God predestine us, or what did God predestine us for? Verse five, adoption. Now although the believers in Ephesus were living in a a largely independent city in Ephesus, um, the Roman Empire uh, did have a lot of authority of course still over the city, and that included in the law, was included in much of the law, not all of it, but much of it. And uh, we can assume that the Roman uh, interpretation of adoption was uh, legally applied in Ephesus as well. So when you adopted someone, actually what happened was uh, a legal process had to take place that was based on a choice that was made by the person who was making the adoption, who was adopting someone. And they would usually make their choice based almost entirely on how they could then take on their inheritance and their legacy. And so that meant that the person who was being adopted was usually a young adult who had already Uh, proven themselves. Someone who had worked hard, maybe they were an orphan, and they'd worked hard to be proven as somebody who could receive an inheritance from a, a family who did not have children. And so then they would be taken in and they would be trained up to take on the land and the work that was associated with that family. But with God's Paul is saying that adoption looks different and adoption is in Christ, he says. Why? Because instead of having to prove ourselves, we actually share the sonship of Jesus. That means we do not try to earn it, but simply receive it as a gift, a gift that we do not deserve. We do not deserve to be God's sons and daughters but we are adopted and it it is legally binding. That's what Paul's saying here. God has signed off on this and he's been able to sign off on, on it because you are proven before the law to be a viable 
appointment or a viable person for adoption into God's family because you're seen in Christ. That is such good news. And not only are we adopted in legal terms, like a first son with all the inheritance rights, but bought like a slave, released from our previous master into the freedom of sonship. Oh, and, and by the way, it was his pleasure and will. I, I love it. That's almost like this afterthought. Oh, and, and by the way, it was God's pleasure and will to do so. Do you know that? He didn't reluctantly call you son or daughter. It is his delight to adopt you and have you at his dinner table, to have you in his home, to embrace you as his son or daughter. Some Christian friends of ours have been pursuing the adoption of a wee boy for some time now. And we were having a conversation with them a couple of weeks ago and uh, they were telling us a bit about the process and how they'd been speaking to this boy's social worker. And the social worker had explained to, was trying to explain to them that, you know, this could be difficult. There are all sorts of consequences to this. And will your uh, household be able to handle this? Will you guys be able to handle this? Are you sure you're making the right choice here? You don't want to back out. It was that kind of conversation. And I love the kind of gospel response that they had. Oh, no, no. We really believe that we are called to adopt this boy. And that he is made for our family. And that there is no choice. We're going to love him always. No matter what. No matter how he behaves. No matter how difficult it gets. We are going to love him. We'll just simply keep loving him. And that is what it is like to be adopted into God's family. You might feel like you have not done enough or you've done the wrong things and you feel like, I'm, not, I'm a bit of a fraud here. I'm not really a, a Christian type. No, 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 no. You don't get it. He just keeps loving you. He just keeps adoring you. You have no choice here. He just keeps pouring out his grace and his love on you. Some of you have been brought up in a home that felt like you were more a slave to a master at times than maybe what God intends for a son or a daughter to a, a mum or a dad. You need to know this. You have not needed to earn your heavenly Father's love. He adores you now, right now. He adores you now. You, you do not have to sort something out first. He loves you now. He adores you. That's what these spiritual blessings are built upon. That's why Romans and Galatians, um, it, we read in there that the Holy Spirit, the one who is giving us these whole spiritual blessings, remember, causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is a name that is not purely descriptive of your relationship as if it could end up on a birth certificate or a family tree. It is packed full of affection. Abba. It's more a, a kind of cry, a, a, an affectionate cry. I remember when Annabelle first started to have bad dreams and she would cry out, Daddy. And I would go through and pick her up and 
put her into my arms. And just nothing quite like it. Being able to comfort your daughter or your son in that way. And that is just a shadow of how God feels about you. He feels his love for you. Call out to him. He loves to come and pick you up. The brilliant apologist and evangelist Ravi Zacharias, you may have heard, went to be with Jesus this week. He led an extraordinary life. And he said this, it's not who you are that defines you, but whose you are. We have received a new life as children of God, purchased by the most valuable substance on the planet, the blood of Christ. The adoption papers are signed and we are declared blameless as God's sons and daughters. This is the grace of God. This is why in verse 6 it says that we have all received this by what God has freely given us in the one he loves. That is the definition of grace, to receive our new life freely, without any strings attached. I can't emphasize it enough. Nothing to do with what you have done. Nothing to do with the way that you appear. Nothing to do with how much you have proved yourself. Nothing to do with how badly you have behaved. Jesus loves you. Your Father in heaven loves you. The Holy Spirit loves you. And they are, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is giving you every spiritual blessing as you are in Christ and the Father pours out his love on you. One God in three persons adoring you. There are lots of followers of Jesus out there who might think that they live by grace. But living in the grace of God that is lavished on us, as verse 8 says, should change us. Christians can often assume that grace is a is only about forgiveness. We see in this text that it is about forgiveness, but it's actually about much more, and we see that too. It's entering into the freedom of being a child accepted and adored by our Heavenly Father. And it's only through the lens of grace that we can make sense of what Paul had said in verse 4, where we see we are called to live lives of holiness. And that's why in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of God as his beloved children. You see it? We are not forgiven and then we try to live out the Christian life from sheer willpower. It flows from a real spirit-filled relationship with our Father. Grace changes our whole perspective on life. When grace is lived out in the spirit and it causes us to keep out crying, I keep crying out, Abba, Father, everything changes. I was a little stressed out earlier in the week, and Alison Crichton did this brilliant um, uh, devotion for our prayer times, and uh, it was uh, just wonderful talking all about how God provides. And as part of that, Lindsay uh, had a, a word that she felt was for someone who was 
part of the group praying that morning and it was simply trust me and I remember thinking oh that's wonderful for someone else but it's wonderful that was great brilliant and then uh, as the day went on I was stressing about houses we've got a bit of a complicated home situation at the moment with where we live uh, to do with properties down south and rentals up here and COVID-19 and all that stuff but anyway I was doing my usual and trying to sort everything out myself and I was just getting a bit stressed with it and uh, it was starting to show I was probably getting pretty grumpy not probably I was getting pretty grumpy and uh, Lindsay said well I wonder if that uh, word for you was for you this morning what Alison brought and then that word and um, trust me and I'm thinking no it's not that wasn't for me no way ah, I'm fine it wasn't until later that morning, just for lunch, I decided, right, I'm going to go for a prayer walk. I'm not really feeling myself. Or, actually, it ended up being a prayer cycle. Not that you need to know that. And uh, I was out, I was praying. A couple of minutes in, flooded with the love of the Father. And it didn't take me long to realise that was definitely for me. He just flooded me with a new perspective on the whole thing. Looked to him and I could, I could believe those words, trust me but you see how it switched upside down because instead of me running around crazy trying to sort out stuff myself first went to the father in that moment obviously I got it the wrong way around earlier in the day but when we first go to our father when we first go to God and we sit before him and receive from him we get a new perspective of on life life that flows from time and the presence of God is lived totally different to the one that is lived the other way around we've got to prioritize being with our father as a means to living out this life of grace I remember when, to, when I went to prayer meetings when I first came to faith and often the prayers were pretty formal they had a bit of a pattern almost always beginning with something like father lord help me help us to do this to do that and then they would finish in the name of jesus amen now the words in themselves jesus teaches us to to pray like that and that's wonderful but it's amazing how we can take uh, and a, a way of addressing God like this, an affectionate noise towards our Father, Abba Father, and make it such a rigid term. Let's pray by the grace of God and just talk to God as our Father. That's who he is. He, he just wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us chatting away to him. And I, I want you to remember, next time you're in a prayer meeting or you're praying with other people somewhere, or even just praying on your own sometimes, would you remember this? That the best way to pray is purely out of our hearts, natural. He, he sees everything anyway. We don't need to be formal. He sees it all. Just let it overflow from your heart. Just have a conversation with him. And actually, if you do that in a prayer meeting, you're going to give the rest of us a great example for prayer. We don't need fancy words. We simply just need to be with our Father. Cry out to him whatever is going on in our hearts. 
God adopts and he has poured out every spiritual blessing in Christ on us. Let's be people who live a life that flows out of our relationship with our Father. People marked by the grace of God. One of the things I love about the advanced family of churches is that when we get together, if you've been at one of those meetings, you'll know what I'm talking about. We just seem to immediately run into the presence of God in worship. And you may have noticed that our worship, we, we try and keep thing, um, trying to immediately come in with upbeat praise songs, songs that, like Paul's outburst, are, are full of thankfulness. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that by the grace of God and by the truth of the gospel, we can always run into his presence. We don't need to warm up. We, because what we're really saying when we say we need to warm up is, I need to feel this first and that in some ways is a work kind of working our way up aligning ourselves getting ourselves to a place where we can worship instead of just saying no no my father accepts me now as i am and i am gonna run into my father's arms that's the kind of praise and worship that we want to want to have we want to be able to worship like Paul did here, and, there, and we can, not because of what we've done, but because of who we are now in Christ as God our Father's beloved. He loves you, he adores you. So now as we come to sing, I encourage you, stand if you can, and turn the sound up and belt it out. Just run into his presence. Be overflowing with praise. You know, the more you do it, the more you overflow in praise. It's wonderful. Lord Jesus, thank you for being with us this morning. As we come to worship you now, God, we pray that you would have us overflow. Gosh, uh, have our dams burst by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that it's your work. So come now and do it. Reveal to us the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and who we now are, sons and daughters of the Most High God, who you, you, our Father, you love us, you adore us. Oh, such good news. And we live in the light of that good news and reveal it by our lives. In Jesus, your holy name. Amen.